Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. And if you do not have a Bible, there are some on the back table. You can go ahead and grab one of those so you can follow along. Um, So Philippians chapter 1, in just a moment, we're going to begin reading in verse 12. Uh, But before we get there, someone's not happy with me. So waiting, obviously this machine didn't want to wait, that's why it was barking at me. But waiting is not always the easiest thing for many of us. And it's typically not something that people find joyful, right? If you tell me I have to wait for something, I'm not going to sit there and go, this is the best day of my life, right? For many of us, we only have an eye for the present, what's happening right now. Some of us even have difficulty waiting for the microwave when it's popping our bag of popcorn that's only going to take about three and a half minutes. My family has Amazon Prime, and in most cases, if I order something, it's going to be delivered in about two days, right? That's not fast enough for me. I hit the submit button, and I'm immediately sitting on the front porch waiting for the UPS guy to show up. Like, where are you, dude? I just ordered this 30 seconds ago. There is little joy found in waiting, awaiting the outcome of an event. But so much of what takes place in our lives requires patience. And because patience and joy are not good friends, many people have difficulty experiencing joy in the present. And there's a lot of anxiety about the future, especially because we have almost no control over what's going to happen. And that's why the Bible tells us to be anxious for nothing. Well, as Christians, we are called to find joy in our present circumstances and in our future circumstances as well. In our passage from Philippians today, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, we're going to see Paul doing just that very thing. Paul demonstrated joy, experiencing joy in his present circumstances and expressing a hope for the future because of Jesus. So let's turn in your scripture to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 12 down through verse 26. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. 
My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So there are two things that I want us to see here. I want us to see that Paul found joy in their present circumstances, and later Paul found joy in, our, in his future circumstances. So the first part here, beginning in verse 12, um, point number one is Paul found joy in his imprisonment. When someone writes a letter to another person, it's usually to tell the person who's receiving that letter what has happened to the person who's writing it. My Aunt Nancy used to write us letters, and they'd be like six pages long, and it would be all about her trip to the doctor and what she had for dinner and about the dog across the street who wouldn't stop barking. Right? She wrote those letters because she wanted me to know what was going on in her life. So Paul's letter to the Philippians is telling them all the things that had happened to him. It was likely that the Philippian church had heard some of the rumors of what had happened to Paul. But we need to remember that this was before cell phones and before social media and before the internet. And so news wasn't able to be relayed as quickly as it can be today. Today, and you all know this, right? If you have a mom who has a cell phone, you know this is what happens. If you have an appointment at 10 o'clock, at 10.02, your mom is texting you to find out what happened. What did the doctor say? What score did you get on the test? All of those things. Moms, you can shake your head because you know I'm telling the truth. Right? But in Paul's day, it could take days or weeks for the news to reach from one place to another. So now, as you can see in, in the verses leading up to this passage, news from Paul has arrived, and it's not exactly encouraging news. Paul is in prison, and his future is uncertain. At this point of the letter, right, if you get to this point of his letter, one could realistically expect to hear about the difficulties and struggles that Paul is going through. Paul is in prison. He's chained to a guard. It's not an ideal situation. And certainly, one could understand if he was to express some anxiety about what he was going through or what the future may hold for him. But that's not what Paul was doing. Instead of focusing on the dire nature of being in prison and the possibility of an even worse fate waiting, awaiting him, Paul expresses joy in the fact that his current suffering is advancing the gospel. He could see that what he was going through was advancing the gospel. Now, this past spring, I had the opportunity to coach my daughter's soccer team. It was a wonderful experience for the most part, right? Now, sometimes, sometimes parents of first and second grade soccer, they need to realize nobody's getting a scholarship from playing first and second grade soccer, all right? No, there are no endorsement deals on the line for those players. Now, but on our team, we had a young man who was in a wheelchair. Now, when, I, when, when they told me that I, this young man was going to be on my team, I have to be honest, I had, I had some reservations. I didn't know how this was going to work out. Because for those of you that don't know a lot about soccer, soccer requires you to run and kick, right? It, it requires you to move up and down the field quickly and kick the ball. We weren't exactly sure how he was going to be able to participate. But these challenges never stopped him. They never set him back one moment. 
He came to every single game and every single practice with a smile and a joy that quickly spread to every other player and their parents that were on our team. He was never discouraged. He was never disheartened. This young man loved soccer. And more importantly, he loved his team. He loved being um, a supersonic. I don't know who was more excited when someone scored a goal, whether it was Trevor or the person who scored the goal, because that young man was cheering and hooting and hollering and having a great time. Now, the joy that Trevor had for being on the soccer team, even with the challenges that he faced, that's the exact same joy that Paul had for the spread of the gospel. Rather than focusing on the suffering and the difficulty of what he was going through, Paul was rejoicing in the fact that the message of Jesus was being spread to others. Now, is, that, is the same true about you? Many of us in this room today are facing difficulties. Some of them may be considered small, but they're big to you. They're difficult to you. Some of us may be facing difficult roads ahead with a medical diagnosis or loved ones who are making questionable decisions. Big or small, all of us are dealing with difficulties of one kind or another. But here's the thing, and I pray that you find comfort in this truth. Each of these challenges was given to you specifically by God himself. Our God is sovereign over every aspect of our lives, including the suffering that we experience. In 2011, John Piper, a pastor and author from Minneapolis, he wrote a little booklet called Don't Waste Your Cancer. He wrote it the night before he was to have prostate cancer surgery. And in this short booklet, Dr. Piper gave 11 different ways to avoid wasting your cancer. And one of the ways that he listed was, we waste our cancer if we believe it is a curse and not a gift. When you first hear that statement, let me read it again. We waste our cancer if we believe it is a curse and not a gift. When you first hear that, it sounds wrong to our ears, right? Cancer, how can cancer be a gift? Cancer is a killer. It destroys families. That's not a gift. It's not something you, will, you pray, you're like, you know what I want for my birthday? I want cancer, right? That's not a gift that anybody wants. But here's the thing. If you're trusting in Jesus, cancer or the death of a loved one or the loss of a job, those can be seen as a gift because it's an opportunity to give glory to God and to be a witness of his goodness. This is why Paul could say, listen, all of these things that have happened to me, they're good because they are furthering the gospel. I'm using them to tell others about Jesus. Church, is that true of us? Are we using our difficulties to further the gospel? Or are we using them as a means of self-pity and wallowing? Are you able to find joy in your suffering? Because it means that Jesus is glorified. The second thing here is Paul found joy in the spread of the gospel. Paul continues on by pointing to two very specific ways that the gospel is being furthered because of his imprisonment. First, he points to the fact that the whole imperial guard 
knows that his imprisonment is for Christ. The remarkable thing about trusting God in all of our circumstances is that it allows his glory to be shown in places that we would never anticipate on our own. Philippians 1.13 tells us that the whole imperial guard and all the rest know of Paul's imprisonment and the reason for it. Now, who were the imperial guard? They were the soldiers that were hand-selected to guard the emperor. Think the modern-day secret service whose job it is to protect the president. And while we may think of Paul's imprisonment as being locked in a dungeon, and at, at times he was, this particular time, he was under a very restrictive house arrest, chained all hours of the day to a Roman guard. From, from his letter, it's obvious that Paul was able to have visitors come to him, but he was always with the guard assigned to him. There was never a moment of privacy for Paul during this. This guard, whether he wanted to or not, this guard observed Paul's manner and heard his teaching. And what was the result? It is likely that many of them turned to Christ. When they rotated out to go to another post, what did they take with them? They took the gospel message. Paul's imprisonment was used in God's sovereignty to carry the gospel to the imperial guard who then took it to the halls of Caesar's household. Philippians 4.22 tells us that there were believers in Caesar's house. This could hardly have been in Paul's plan, but in God's sovereignty, the gospel was reaching those many would have considered unreachable. A second, Paul is finding joy in his present circumstance because other believers are now emboldened to share the gospel. They are witnessing God's provision to Paul, even in a dark time, and their faith is increasing. It was likely that those who arrested Paul had hoped that by doing so, by putting Paul in prison, they would stop the spread of the gospel. But what happened? The exact opposite, right? Putting Paul in prison only caused the gospel to spread even further. Paul is writing to the Philippians that the Roman Christians were now even more excited to spread the gospel. They are seeing and hearing about Paul's joy, and it is spreading to them as well. Even with the risk of persecution and suffering, they were willing to make the same sacrifices as Paul if it meant that Christ was going to be glorified. And Paul wanted his readers to know that this was happening so that the same joy that the Roman Christians were experiencing could be known by the Philippians through Jesus Christ. Now in verses 15 through 17 there, Paul mentions that there are two groups of people who are preaching the gospel. There are those who are doing it out of love. They understand why Paul has been locked up and they want to spread the gospel just like he was doing. Then there is the other group. This group had some kind of beef with Paul over something, and they were preaching the gospel in an attempt to discredit Paul or to cause his suffering to intensify. It's possible that some of them were trying to make a name for themselves at Paul's expense. Their motivations were selfish and hypocritical. But here's the thing. Even in doing this, they were preaching the gospel. They were spreading the gospel message to others. These were not false teachers like the Judaizers that Paul spoke out against in his letter to the Galatians. They weren't preaching a false gospel. Their message was the same message that Paul was teaching. 
in their attempts to cause harm to Paul, they were sharing the message of Jesus. Now, for many of us, if someone was attempting to discredit us or cause us harm through their words, our first reaction would be to defend ourselves, right? We, we, we would want to stand up for ourselves. We'd want to set the record straight. Our pride and our reputation, they're on the line. But that wasn't Paul's response. Instead of trying to correct these people and put them in their place, Paul finds joy even in that situation. How is that possible? Well, because verse 18 tells us Christ was being preached. The good news of Jesus was being spread. Paul knew that there were some doing it from right motives and that there were others doing it from wrong motives, but he found joy in the situation because Jesus was being glorified. And that brings us to the, the second half here. Um, not only did Paul, is there joy in our current, in our present circumstances, there is also joy in our future circumstances. Now, as Paul's letter continues, he moves his focus from his current circumstances to the possibilities of what's going to come next. And in light of his present circumstances, Paul's future was uncertain. But what is Paul's response? He tells the Philippians that not only is he rejoicing in his current circumstances, but he will rejoice about what God has for him in the future. So the first thing, Paul found joy in the prayers of others. Paul is convinced that no matter the outcome of Caesar's verdict, God would bring evil or would bring good from this evil. Just like Joseph saw God's design in delivering his family when his brother sold him into slavery, Paul saw that his imprisonment was being used by God for the good of others. And the joy that Paul was experiencing during this trial was brought to him by the help of the Holy Spirit, brought by the prayers of the Philippians. Paul knew that there was deliverance in his future. Not necessarily deliverance from the prison, but deliverance from the sin of this world. And he had confidence in this, in this because of the work of the Holy Spirit. No matter the earthly outcome, whether he was to be set free from prison or whether he was to be executed, Paul knew that God was in control of the situation. Matthew Henry, a minister from the 1600s, wrote this. Whatever turns to our salvation is by the supply or the aids and excuse me, assistance of the Spirit of Christ. And prayer is the appointed means of fetching that supply. The prayers of the people may bring a supply of the Spirit to their ministers to support them in suffering as well as in preaching the gospel. And that's why praying for your pastors and for each other is so vitally important. The Holy Spirit ministers to us in our time of need, but there is an obligation, a joy, and even a privilege for us to pray for each other. Some of us are private, and we may not want to open up about the challenges and difficulties we face, but I want you to know, church, that there are people here in this building that are praying for you as you walk through those things. I was at lunch this week with my daughter. I, had, uh, I, I got to take Kate out to, to, I said, where do you want to go to lunch? Of course, she said, Burger King. I'm not sure if it's her favorite restaurant or if it's the only restaurant she knows, but Kate and I were at Burger King, and I got a text on my phone. The text was, some, was from someone here in this church, and it was letting me know that they were praying for me 
as I was preparing to preach this morning. It was a real simple gesture. The text was about two sentences long, but it meant a great deal to me. The Holy Spirit, as Paul writes here, works in and through the prayers of his people. Secondly, Paul found joy in the hope of his salvation. Now, Paul was clinging to the hope of his salvation. His entire life, from the moment he was converted on the road to Damascus until his death, was devoted to the glory of God. When Paul stated that his eager expectation and hope to not be at all ashamed, when he stated that, he was declaring his confidence in his salvation and the expectation that he will be with Christ. And he could have this confidence because his joy was found in striving for the glory of Christ. This should be the ultimate desire of every Christian, that Christ be glorified above everything else. And just like Paul, every Christian should desire to bring glory to Christ, no matter the sacrifice required. This is why some Christians are willing to pack up everything and move to other parts of the world for the glory of Christ. This is why Christians should be willing to give sacrificially, even if it means they need to forego certain comforts that the world deems essential. And this is why Christians should be willing to hold the ropes for those God calls to other places. We're not all called to go to other places, but we are called to hold the ropes for those who are to go. The scripture tells believers to give their lives as a living sacrifice. And we do these things for the same reason that Paul did them, for the glory of Christ. And with this goal, glorifying God, no ma- glorifying Christ no matter what, with this goal in mind, Paul found himself facing a difficult choice. Which option, continuing to live or to depart and be with Christ, would bring more glory to Christ? Now understand, Paul is not considering ending his own life here. Nor does he believe that Caesar's ultimate verdict is up to Caesar, right? Or up to Paul. Paul doesn't have a say in what Caesar is going to do. Instead, Paul believes in the sovereignty of God. God's authority over every decision and event that takes place in our our lives. And so when Paul is trying to decide which outcome to choose, whether to live or to depart, he's trying to decide which one of those is he going to pray and ask the, ask the Lord for? Because for Paul, both options were equally appealing. This is why he could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If he were to remain alive, regardless of whether he is set free or he continues in to remain in prison, he will have opportunities to continue to minister and to point others to Jesus. But if he were to be executed... Well, he would immediately be in the presence of Jesus, the one to whom he had devoted his life. The two options were not in conflict with each other as a good choice versus a bad choice, but rather they were two equally good choices. Paul wanted to remain because he knew that he could continue to see the fruit that would develop and grow in the Philippians. At the same time, what we see in verse 23, Paul eagerly wanted to depart. Some people, desi- some people desire to leave this life because there's too much misery and too much pain for them. The things of life are difficult, and they are overwhelmed by them. 
this was not the case for Paul. He had no, de- he had no desire to depart to get out of his current search circumstances. He knew that it was spreading the gospel and bringing glory to Christ. Paul found himself torn between two blessings, continuing to live for Christ in this life or to depart and be with Christ in the next. And what we see that is that if given his personal choice, Paul would choose the martyrdom so he could be united with Christ. Now let's reflect on that thought for just a second. Paul was not only faced with the question of what option he should choose, but also why he would choose that option. Continuing to live or to die as a martyr. For each one of us, that question is the same. The question of why instead of what. That can be a reflection of where our hearts are at. For some, we would rather continue to live because even though this world has inconveniences and difficulties, we're enamored, we're in love with the things of this world. The thought of leaving those things behind is a cause for anxiety. We don't want to give up all of the things that we've worked so hard for. Death and the life to come is a dreadful mystery. Some people are terrified of death because they don't know what is coming next. If that describes you, you, you know, that, know that you can know what the next life holds. That truth is found through faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting him as your only hope in life and in death is, is the key to relieving that anxiety. Or you might have a preference to depart for the next life instead of continuing with this one. The thought of death as an escape from the pain and uncertainty of this world makes it that much more appealing. Regardless of which one, the choice can show your, where your heart is focused, on se- whether your heart is focused on self-centered things and not the things of Christ. For Paul and for believers, when we are in Christ, truly treasuring him above all else, we are free to joyfully follow the path that Jesus has laid before us. Because no matter what happens, Christ is glorified, whether that's by our lives or by our deaths. Now you may be thinking, Jonathan, it's easy for Paul to make a claim like this. I mean, he was a spiritual supergiant, right? He was on the Christian Avengers. This man was a superhero. But I want you to think back just a few verses. Paul told his readers that his imprisonment was giving courage to other brothers and sisters, normal individuals. They saw what Paul was going through and what he was willing to lay aside for the sake of the gospel, and it caused them to do the very same thing. The question then becomes, church, are you willing to say the same thing? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Are you trusting and loving Christ above all else? Third, Paul found joy in serving others. Ultimately, what we see is Paul concludes that he will remain and continue with the Philippians. Now, this sounds like he had some kind of special knowledge about what was going to happen with Caesar, what the outcome of his trial was going to be. Well, Paul didn't have any kind of special pipeline to Caesar, and no one had leaked a draft opinion to him of what to expect from the decision. Instead, as Paul reflected and prayed, he became convinced that what would glorify Christ the most would be by his continued ministry to the Philippians. 
he eagerly anticipated being reunited with them because it would cause them to glory in Jesus more. Paul willingly sacrificed his own desires in order to joyfully continue ministering to the Philippians. Now, what an example this is for us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Like Paul, are we willing to put aside our own desires and preferences in order to help bring, other, bring glory to Christ? Every Sunday, there's a team of people who get up early, who gather here early to help prepare for the service. I can tell you, they would much rather be sleeping in bed. They are joyfully sacrificing their time so that others can be ministered to. And throughout the week, there are people in this church who are preparing lessons for the various classes that are taught. This is a sacrifice that is done joyfully to help others grow in their faith so that Christ will be glorified by the fruit that is produced. So church, how are we joyfully seeking to serve others for the glory of Christ? Now, no matter his circumstances, and Paul experienced many things that others will never know. Paul could rejoice because his joy was not rooted in his situation, but it was rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. Being beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, and even falsely maligned by others could not take Paul's joy because those things could not take Jesus from him. So church, let me ask you, where are your eyes? Are they on the difficulties of every day or are they focused on Jesus? If your joy comes from your circumstances, it will disappear. But if your joy is found in Jesus, it is rooted in the one who is eternal. Your joy is grounded in the one who made the statement, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And your joy finds its source in the one who gives you the hope of eternal life and the ability to willingly sacrifice your needs, your needs for those needs of others. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the example that we see here of Paul, of him finding joy even in extremely difficult circumstances. And so, Father, I pray that you would, through the Holy Spirit, give each one of us that's gathered here today, that each one that heard heard the scriptures open, that you would give us the courage to be bold in sharing the gospel, no matter the sacrifice that's required. Lord, I thank you for those who have gone before us, who have taken the gospel to places that are difficult, places that are hard, because they were willing to sacrifice for your glory. And Lord, I ask that that would be true of each one of us, and that that would be true of Harvest Point as a whole, that all that we do we find joy, even in the difficult times, in bringing glory to your name. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for Jesus. Amen.